Good morning. It's the 14th of January, and you're listening to The Big Kickoff. Good morning, it's the 14th of January, big kickoff. Roy Shanahan here, Neil Dobbs there. Neil, how are you doing? I'm good, Roy, and you? Good. David Bugle is off smoothing. Uh, yeah, uh, off last night, so it wouldn't make it back up today, but uh, Neil's stepping in, and uh, we should have a good show. What have we got on the show today, Neil? Well, we have our usual sports discussion, a lot of new stories going around today, uh, transfer window and the like, and we also have a very good interview with Dara McAnthony, the Peterborough United chairman, on his ins and outs of his job and whatnot, so that should be very interesting. Yeah, we did a pre-record there the other day, and uh, Dara... Uh, obliged us with his time which is in the transfer window at the moment uh, the time I suppose he has to uh, he has to try and figure out things between transfers and whatnot, and people trying to grab his players so we were delighted to get to talk to him and it's a very interesting uh, interview Neil what did you do over the weekend? What to do over the weekend? I, I ate well and drank well over the weekend. Where was that place again that you talked oh, about? My Meat Wagon. My Meat Wagon. We give them a plug. Highly recommended. Go Highly on. recommended. Tell us what it's about. This is about barbecue. Nothing but barbecue food. You go in, you order up a board of meat. Yeah. Out it comes. I went for cow. Comes out with beef rib, beef, pulled beef. Ah. Oh, Corn and the so cob, just, and just full on meat. Just full on meat. Well, a bit of corn and cob and a bit of mash if you want it. You know, uh, you don't go near but, uh, that. Though, it's, yeah. it's damn good. Damn right, good. Right. Myself, I went to. I went up to see Luke and United play Shamrock Rovers. A mm-hmm. uh, very good game. Luke and beat Shamrock Rovers one 0 Which you think it's not. a it's all right. It's a pre-season friendly, but then I think Shamrock Rovers played another pre-season friendly against Cardiff and hammered them twelve nil. Wow! So it shows you that. Yeah, you know, I suppose there's something right going on up at Luke and United. But again, this is great for pre-season uh, for all you know the local clubs who can get the games against the League of Ireland teams. And yeah, it was a good, it was a good tournament. And of course, it was for Molly O'Toole, who unfortunately passed away five years ago. I think five you know, years now, yeah, unbelievable. So it was for a charity there. Uh, Lacey is a girl as well, so it's a good thing each year to have. But uh, yeah, no, it was a good tournament. So other than that, I don't think I did that, did I? I didn't even get to see match of the day last night. I'm good. Well, that's tough one. I didn't miss <laughs> match. I haven't on record though. Watch it later on. Right, we'll start off with our first song. Uh, Carson is an Irish song, and this fella it has the, for my in my opinion, the best voice in the world. It's Jack L and it's Georgie Boy. Shine fills the island 
And welcome to the Big Kickoff on Liffey Sound 96.4 FM. I am ready for the day now. What a song. Classic. If you want to contact us, it's 0870627138. Of course, our email, as always. And if anyone feels that they'd like to come on the show, uh, have a reason, it's the Big Kickoff 96.4 at gmail.com or anything that you would like to hear on the show. Contact us, no problem at all, and we'll get back to you. Neil, sport. Sport. I've got rugby on today, Roy. You've rugby? Rugby on today. Okay. We've Leinster versus Glasgow yeah. in the Champions Cup. It's not really an interesting game insofar as Leinster have more or less guaranteed their Bert in the next round. But if they win, they guaranteed first place. Basically, yeah, that's yeah. the whole idea. It's on at one o'clock today. And then you have also Ulster, Munster uh, that are also top of their group playing. And they're all just angling to make sure that they finish top of their group. Yeah. it's uh, We were talking that the Darsh Ailes was on last week mm-hmm. talking about it. And it's interesting times for Ireland because... You know, they're doing province and nationally because they're doing well, so well in with the national side at the moment. You know, you're beating New Zealand, you're beating South Africa over the last couple of years. That can we keep that? And there's so, you know, according to Darren, there's so much potential coming through, especially with Leinster. That, you know, these teams probably should be up there challenging again. So Leinster for the, mm-hmm. the Heineken, probably for the, for the Pro 14 and all. So yeah, it's interesting to see if we can get back. Because we've had that little bit of a lull in between, you know, where, where they haven't won a lot. They've, they've kind of, I suppose, you, can only, you have to plateau at some stage. You can't always uh, be up at the top. But uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how you they do. do. Well, the provinces are doing well and it's just a question of kicking on now. And that's what we want. You yeah. know, you want to look for the Six Nations now and you want to make an impact at it this year. Um, and that kind of sets you up then for the Rugby World Cup and that's what it's all about but uh, they seem to be blooding a lot of players it's very very promising yeah professionalism professionalism will come into GAA down the line this is according to retired footballer Michael Shields who believes the GAA will eventually have to embrace professionalism at some point in the future now this is something that I've talked about a, a lot I can't I find it hard to believe that with so much money in the game that it'll never come to professionalism hmm. and this is the first kind of person who really kind of come out and said listen I can see it he says if you look at the average ages of players retiring 10 years ago it was about 35 or 36 the players I played with Graham Canty Nicholas Murphy they've all finished at about that age but in the last couple of years the average age of people retiring is 31 32 definitely players are retiring a little bit earlier because demands you know in around their family commitments and work commitments and you can't do it all if we're going to see I think we're going to see a lot more of retiring at that age around the country so basically what he's saying is it's there, there's so much pressure on you these days to get the money in for a family to you know to get to work to see your family as well I suppose that down the line and I don't think he's saying he's call, he says here I, I, I do think it's inevitable but I'm not calling for professionalism but I can just see it happening because they're going to lose out on players they're going to lose out on star players and the game is going to maybe drop off a little bit if it doesn't happen there's money out there there's money in the game and I mean everything else they do is professional yeah. their preparation the commitment is astounding I yeah. mean you're talking training five six nights a week there's no doubt about it oh, and if you look at them now they're playing I was just saying they're playing Auburn Cup games now today the semi-finals are on today and you have four teams going at that now and uh, you know it's only a early in the year and I mean they want to be peaking now in around the June-July phase and yeah. you know of course it's not, just, it's not just the county you know that they're playing, they're playing. so uh, I, I think it, I think it's going to be down the line I think it I think it probably needs to be even if it's a semi-professional uh, league to I mean there's so much money in it 
But, you know, like I said, there's, there's a lot of people putting commitment in. And they're not just doing the training sessions in the evenings. They're doing the training sessions before they go to work. So course, yeah. families are missing out on an awful lot. And the only way to combat that is to bring in some sort yeah. of professional line. That's it. Next news. You have a GAA news. Yeah, now. I was saying about GAA. So, Bourne Cup semi-finals are on today. We have Mead and Longford and Westmead and Offaly. Westmead, for example, are expected to go through in this. It'll be their first cup final in 11 years. It'd be great for them, you know. Obviously, Dublin are knocked out there; they're gone. But uh, that it still creates two good games there on the TV, and uh, yeah, should be tuning in for them. Be interesting what the final result will be. Do you watch much of that guy? I I will admit I'm a I'm a summertime guy, man. I like the the championship is where it matters. So you know, I wouldn't be going in and watching a boring cup games, for example. I wouldn't be going into Parnell, but. Uh, you know, if it's on the telly, I, I definitely watch it. But uh, definitely for the championship, that's where it all starts. You know, um, football. Let, let's just go into Martin O'Neill, Stoke, uh, Flores, all that sort of stuff. What's your take on on the whole thing? Yeah, this is very interesting. Now, so I was just listening away in the car there. So you have Michael O'Neill who's moving to Scotland manager by the looks of this. There's a little bit of transfer. When did you, I didn't hear that now. They, they reckon they're going to offer him terms in a five-year contract for the, the Scottish FA are going to offer him. So, okay. And there's a, obviously a package then to, to relieve from Northern Ireland, which is interesting because Michael O'Neill was also bandied around a couple. You know, the West Broms and a few of them were interested. So this new thing now is the big one talking point is the verbal agreement with Martin O'Neill with uh, John Delaney. Yeah. So obviously, you know, pre kind of uh, getting hammered by Denmark, everything was like there was a position in place, a, a contract on the table, and they'd ver- you know verbally agreed. And it looks like they've taken a holiday over the Christmas, and now all of a sudden, with Flores uh, ruling himself out, staying with Espanyol, um, now they're all of a sudden sniffing sniffing around their second target which is Martin O'Neill Martin O'Neill slash Roy Keane I don't know but definitely Martin O'Neill yeah well I think I've I've just read this morning that uh, Stoke have offered Martin O'Neill and Roy Keane the job and there you go but there's a sticking point which is the length of contract ah now I think they're, they're talking that the length of contract might be till the end of the season and right. Martin O'Neill's not, not biting with that at all it has to be a good contract because obviously yeah, you get a, at the end of the year no matter how well you do you could be out the door in the summer exactly so yeah so my opinion is I, I think I'd like him to take the Stoke job for, from an Ireland point of view from, yep. from, from my point of view Um. so if he does that Mm-hmm. Actually, we go to the, to the to the first point. Is it disappointing that no one has come out from the FAI or even Martin O'Neill's side to to say what is actually going on? Uh, I think that's exactly the point, though, isn't it? Silence is deafening. Yeah. So there's something going on. Um, I mean, you know, recent interviews with Martin O'Neill, there's no one going to ask him that to his face because he, he bites the head off people at the moment. Imagine asking him about Tony, this. I don't know who might. Yeah, well, he might ask, but he'd be doing it from behind <laughs> bulletproof glass. But the, uh, yeah, so I mean, um, it, it, silence is deafening. And I look, the FAI have never handled these things well, but somebody definitely has been asleep at the wheel here. Like, yeah. What do you turn around and do? Did he get compensated for that? Do you know what I mean? If they take him, would it would have been the amount of compensation? So say Martin O'Neill penned a three-year deal with Ireland, yeah. and then they come in. W- w- are we losing out here by letting them go or by not having that contract signed? No, not necessarily, because let's put it this way. I think the last time he only signed the contract when the, the campaign had started. Yep. So uh, not necessarily, no. I mean, I don't think it's always about money, because if you sign, you sign that, he obviously before... 
had thoughts of maybe moving on and that's yeah. why he didn't sign it to late maybe so yeah. and I'd say it's the same thing this time if, what, what else out there is the grass green or somewhere else yeah again I think he should I, I think he should take an opportunity and go because I think that it'd be nice he has done his stint thank you very much it'd be nice to see someone else in. the timing is right isn't it the I timing so. is right and I think you know he. I don't think he's a whole lot else to prove at Ireland look he did what he did he used them as the sum of their parts as he says I yeah. think he's brought them maybe as far as he can yeah. and uh, it just becomes more interesting who they bring in yeah. after him I think you know, it'd be more get, the same wouldn't it yeah if you get a good appointment after that everyone's happy with no one is going to kind of lose sleep over Martin O'Neill moving now and again it'd be very interested to see him move back into club football you know yeah Roy Keane going as a it's yeah. an assistant does that it seems does that like show choice, does that something? show his lack of ambition or that he's happy that he knows that his role now maybe is this position yeah I, I think it's a bit of both I think he'll always have one eye on the prize Roy Keane and if this is his way to get back in and see how club management say for example O'Neill becomes successful there takes over Stoke keeps him up and gets another year or whatever Roy Keane can get in there and that's his way of figuring out how it all works because Obviously, the previous time he's been in management, it hasn't worked. But I'd say he always has one eye on the prize, Roy Keane, thinking this could be me someday. And maybe that's the only way he can do it, is to be a number two, you know? Yeah. That could work for him. Potential replacements if he goes? They're not who, who would you, go who would, you, who would you like to say? Oh, I don't know. Um, you just want us to play a slightly better brand of football. I don't think it's going to be very expansive. Um, I don't know. Like, they're... they're I, I'd struggle to name anyone high profile enough that would take that job that would excite me so maybe we could go back in and look for one of the Irish managers well there's talk of Mick McCarthy I like Mick McCarthy I don't think Mick McCarthy did that too wrong did he no I think it was, I think it was very unfortunate at the time I mean the whole Keane thing if the Keane thing wasn't there he would have been still in the job you know yeah. at, well not always forever but you know at the time he, he, was, he, he was playing good football mm. he had the backing of the players uh, bar one and uh, I think he did a good job yeah I think he overall. achieved and he, he, got and he took over a bad Ireland side as did. in an ageing run the decline, from, yeah, from, from no doubt from I, I quite like Mick McCarthy and the one thing I'll always say about Mick McCarthy is when I ever used to go into Lansdowne for the big games Mick McCarthy always had them absolutely ready to go, ready to go they yeah. really really performed well in the big games Um whether that interests him or not now I know he, he's the slog of the league one and all the rest championship no, yeah but he has said before and it's on the record that he would love to go back and finish the job with right. Ireland. Well, there you go. So it is. Now, the only thing is, he's with Ipswich. FAI would have to pay compensation. Of course. They're not too good with money, are they? No. They don't like handing out. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'd like to see, there's another reason why I'd like to see the likes of Mick McCarthy is because he knows the championship and league one very, very well. I mean, let's be honest, that's where all our talent lies now at the moment. Yeah. It's not in the Premier League. Um, so maybe he could unearth a couple of kids that are coming through that he'd have his eye on as well. So you imagine his ear to be on the ground there figuring that one out. So I think if he was to take it, it'd be a positive step that he feels he could achieve something you know rather than coming in and giving the kind of poor mouth we're not yeah. good enough this is about as good as we are and I, I'd like that yeah another name that's been thrown in there is Neil Lennon who is uh, we see on Irish TV an awful lot uh, he's doing a good job up at Hibs yeah thoughts um, yeah why not yeah. I mean I, I think he'd be a very good again he's the type of guy that got some super results on the nights the big nights with, with uh, Celtic um, so yeah, seems a good progressive manager, kind of no nonsense. Listen to his comments on the panels when he does the Irish games. 
uh, you, you seem to think that he feels there's more out there or they're capable of more as well you know he was one that would be one of these that we're always saying we should be playing better football etc so it'd be interesting to see him put his money where his mouth is on that one you know Stephen Kenny now because Stephen Kenny has done such a good job at Dundalk mm-hmm. within Europe and within the league um, and even the type of football that he plays that's the big one the type of football yeah he'd be an interesting one now we've, we've had Brian Kerr yeah, who has come in from that kind of angle before? Um, would he would he be someone that you'd like to say? Uh, wasn't done for you now, kind of champion and Stephen Kenny slash Brian Kerr yes, duo. That's so right, that's right. this is kind of where that comes from. Um, I'd like to see it because at least it shows that there's progression from our game from the Irish game upwards, and you can actually reach that goal. Um, I don't know. I, I think the, it all comes down to how the players respond to a guy like that. Do you know what I mean? When times are tough, you look at the, the last match there with Denmark and Martin O'Neill. I'd say Martin O'Neill and Roy Keane can walk into a dressing room, doesn't matter who's in there, and they could command respect. Yeah. And that is the only... I, I don't know what the attitudes of guys are to League of Ireland or what would they would be when Stephen Kenny would walk into a dressing room. But you'd hope it'd be very positive and they'd respond off him. But uh, yeah, I'd love his brand of football. Very, very impressive. Well, it's a, an interesting sort of proposal, but uh, I suppose we wouldn't be holding our breath for the FAI maybe taking uh, such a big gamble there. That's it, yeah. Chris Hewton? Uh, I think we'd be in dreamland even thinking we could get him. I, I think he's exactly where he wants to be yeah, right now. I think and right. there's no way, there's nothing to gain from him to go in and do that. Do you know what I mean? Martin O'Neill took himself out of the club spotlight, you know, the whole thing where it went with Villa. And kind of, you know, galvanised himself now, took it easy for a few years, and it's ideal for him to go back into club management. Um, Chris Hewton has struck, you know, he was let go that time from Newcastle, and you follow his career since then, and he's done a really, really solid job. Um, and, I, you know, his aspirations are going higher, I would say, and he's doing a brilliant job now. So yeah, I'd say it's, it's a job not finished, isn't it, as well? Yeah, and maybe it's one for the future again, you know what I mean, when he, he does maybe get a bigger number and see how that plays out. You never know with Chris Hewton, but, uh, yeah, he, he must be happy where he is for now. I suppose the last one is Roy Keane, isn't it? Because Roy Keane is number two. Roy Keane doesn't have to take a job with Martin O'Neill and Stoke. How would how would it go with Roy Keane? Would it be would it be more the same, or would this give him the chance to learn? Wouldn't you hope that he's learned over? You know, you hear some of the stories how he got on a Sunderland and what he expected of them and whatnot. And I think that got in the way of him managing a team I think he had these lofty expectations which you know rightly so the man he, he was who he was um, he could come in and do a great job yeah. you never know yeah. never know what Roy came okay anyhow so watch this space and we'll be back after the break And welcome back to Liffey Sound 96.4 FM. You're listening to the big kickoff. It's Sunday morning, the 14th of January. And we're going to talk a little football. Right. First up, Roy, the manager transfer merry-go-round. Oh, I'm glad you said this now because I, I have something. You go, you go first. Yeah, no. All right. I'm looking through here, just Googling who has left the Premier League since it started this year only. This right? year? This year. So how, ma- how many? Office. How many is there, do you know? Well, oh. I'm only scanning through. There's one, two, three, four, and then there's a couple in danger. So it's at least okay. five. It's actually probably more. Um, there's Craig Shakespeare. 
Cumin, Billich, Pulis, Clement and Hughes anyway, definitely, right? So they're definitely gone and I'd say there's a couple of them in the balance, you know? It's an interesting one. Um, Pulis, straight off the bat, we're just talking about the Irish team, right? Yeah. Imagine getting a like a Pulis or, well, maybe not for the football style, but a Pulis or a Billich or something like that. Surely they're the type of guy you should be kind of going after. Well, Pulis is... Did Pulis take the Middlesbrough job? I don't know if he's gone into a job yet. There is a Middlesbrough second there, all right, so maybe. I think he took the, well, mid- the Middlesbrough job. He, would he be a, a good one for, for Ireland? Uh, possibly. Mm-hmm. I mean, what you're going to get out of him is working hard. but Organisation, organization, all that. You know, but I don't think you're going to get the football that you kind of yeah. like to see. Billich, is he damaged goods now? Is He, he looked a, 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 a shadow man. of his former self, yeah, I definitely. have to say. Um, Mark Hughes. Yes. It was interesting to listen to Mark Hughes mm-hmm. or listen to uh, people talk about Mark Hughes when he got sacked. I thought he got a raw deal because Mark Hughes actually had a better record uh, than Tony Pulis did at Stoke. And Tony Pulis is seen as a god mm. in, in Stoke. He, Tony Pulis had uh, two 11 place finishes and in something around that. Yeah. And Mark Hughes had two. I think he had eighth and a ninth or two ninth place finishes. So, but the style, it wasn't as, I suppose maybe because it was off the back of promotion and, and getting up there and staying in there, the to- Tony Pulis got a, you know, a heartwarming feeling course, for him yeah, where Mark yeah. Hughes tried to change how they played and what have you. Yep. But then I stumbled across this and this is, uh, what's his name? Daniel, is it Daniel Gabidon? Mark Gabidon? I'm not Gabidon, sure. Yeah. Uh, who played with them at QPR and at Wales and here he is talking about how Mark Hughes' man management was I'm not convinced by him to be fair he was the person that gave me my international debut put me into the world squad as a youngster um, and at that point I thought he was a good kind of young up and coming manager you know I respected him and liked a lot of the things that he was trying to do but then further on in my career working with him at, at QPR I kind of saw a different side to him, which I didn't. <laughs> I didn't really like, to be honest with you. He, I mean, he's never been a coach. Never seen him coach. Um, he's more of a figurehead and carries his guys with him. Whatever job he gets, so he it's takes Mark Bowen and Eddie, Metzbecki, isn't it? Yeah, Glenn Hodges. All these yeah. guys follow him everywhere. So the way he treated me a little bit, it just well, I expected more from him from when I knew him as as the Wales manager. So yeah, I'd have assumed you'd be a bit of a teacher's pet. No, it was the opposite. To be fair, I was playing in the team at the time. Um, and then he just he dropped me from the team. I played my last game was a cup game. I scored the winner, um, and then the next game I had a bit of a problem with my back. I couldn't play. His words after that was kind of like we'll work you back into the side when you're ready, blah blah. And then just never played again. Sat on the bench for the rest of the season. He never pulled me once and said, "This is why you're not playing." And that annoyed me. Yeah. We never spoke for the rest of the season. Um, got to the end of the season, my contract, I had a one-year contract with an option of another year if I played a certain amount of games. I was about too short, so I didn't play a game from about February. He never rang me or any of the other lads he released. He never got on the phone himself. He got some other guy to yeah, yeah, get on the yeah, phone. Yeah. Sorry, Mark's on a holiday. You're not retaining your services, blah, blah, blah. So all the lads were fuming with that because the manager didn't have the that's decency naughty, yeah. Yeah, to do that. Naughty. 
Now, Neil, what do you think of that? Yeah, that's very interesting. You see, there is two different types of, dare I say, managers slash coaches in the Premier League, right? There's obviously the ones that are on the training ground every day, improving their players, and there's the ones that have a guy doing all the work for them, the coaching work, and it's all scheduled out and all the rest. But you would imagine, if you're the guy which Mark Hughes, which Gabadon is saying Mark Hughes is, the manager who just makes the decisions and brings these guys with him, that your man abilities, man-to-man your people skills would have to be excellent. But like you, that, that surely should be where the cusp of all is. That's exactly it. I mean, if you're not coaching and you're not out yeah. on the pitch, you're taking a step back so you can do the man management style thing. So if he's not doing the man management type stuff, he's not doing anything. What was he doing? Yeah, what was he doing? Now, whether there's another 15 guys in the dressing room that turn around and go, oh yeah, exactly the same way. But you know yourself, that can work for some players. And I think, again, this is the skills of being a manager and being good with people. You have to be able to, you know, interpret what each player wants and needs to get the best out of them. Yeah. Now, obviously, Gavinon wasn't getting that. Yeah. Fell out of favour and then it was like, no one's even talking to me. So it must be tough. Must it, it was obviously preempted that, listen, we're not going to play him for yep. those two two extra games that he needs uh, we don't want to retain the services for next year so that's it he's gone and they had made their mind up whether it was whatever it was, half a season four months or whatever it was beforehand he's not going to play again you could still tell the lad listen you're not in my plans exactly you know? but it is very interesting that he didn't do the training ground work you know what I mean it's uh, yeah, which I, again I'm not surprised by I don't think like Martin O'Neill doesn't do mm. Brian Clough didn't do it Alex Ferguson didn't do it yep. they all, they, all those type of people don't do it they have other people doing mm. it so they can stand back watch have a look who's doing what what's their attitude when they're doing training because yep. when you're coaching when you're in there coaching you're concentrating on the coach and you're not watching the body language of everyone because you can't see everyone when you're coaching. So yeah. it, it, I can understand the two different types, but if you're going to be that, as you said, if you're going to be that person who stands back, you've got to be able to communicate. You've got to be able to, I suppose, have that man management where you can spark people. You yeah. know, there's other aspects of getting the best out of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and obviously, he, he failed Gabadon anyway. That's inter- very interesting to see. It is, isn't it? Like that, yeah. Uh, so Shakespeare got done. Yeah, he got let go. He's under Big Sam now. He's under Big Sam now. Yeah, so which I seems to be to me where he belonged in the first place. You know that way. It, but is that exactly what? It was preconceived that he was always going to be, even when he got the job. So they were going, ah, we'll give him the job. Uh, because he got so many great results, he kept yeah. them up. And then the minute it's gone wrong, well, listen, he's not really a manager. Yeah, and I think that's the problem when you're not a high-profile manager. When you when things go wrong and the, and the, you know, be it you're not at the club long enough to earn yourself that bit of tough time, you know, to hang in there. Like he was, like he was hung in there for a while. Billich hung in there for a good while, but maybe the likes of Shakespeare kind of ran out of his credits that they kind of went nah. The yeah. interesting about Leicester and Shakespeare was they played exactly, you know he did the training ground work because yeah. they played exactly the same with Ranieri as they did under Shakespeare. Yeah. The only difference was he got an extra kind of 20% out of them as soon as Ranieri stepped out the door. Yeah. So then everyone has given him all the plaudits. Well, it was always Shakespeare to begin with. And then that slowly but surely came back down to its level again. And then they realised he's not our man. See, it's a tough one because there's, we talked about this last week, there's about 10 teams at the moment but there's about 12 or 13 teams at the start of a season who know the potential for them to be down in a relegation battle is high yep, it's real for them and at the moment 10 teams in that premiership 
and it could be 12 or 13 depending on how bad a run say yep. let's say Burnley or something like that who did drop off they could go on a terrible run and all of a sudden get sucked back into it again yeah. so there is those teams they're always going to be there so yeah. chairman need to pick their manager wisely to know when there's bad times that this manager is good enough to get through the bad times to get them where they want to be whether that's a 10th place finish or a 13th place finish or whatever or and be realistic or just survive. And, and isn't that the new thing now they're pushing the panic button and they're calling for Big Sam and they're calling yeah. for Pulis yeah. get us out of this mess we've put ourselves in a mess get us out of this mess and these guys go in and they're so seasoned and they're so used to it panic doesn't exist yeah. and they go in there and they steady the ship and all of a sudden they're getting results again, you know. Yeah. It's, a, it's a skill. It really is a skill and an art. Yeah. It's very impressive. But then again, you look at Big Sam now. Big Sam came in with Everton. He got a few results under his belt. Now he's having a bit of a wobble again. He did. But you can't expect them to go in and win every game. You yeah. can't expect that. It doesn't happen like that. No. When you get the good start, it's, it's a bit of motivation from the players now. But that plateaus off as well. Then the work from the training ground is going to come in. So they need to take their time with him as well. Yeah. I mean, Koeman probably... It was just put under pressure straight away. They spent a bit of money at the, in the summer and all of a sudden yeah. they wanted to be top four. It doesn't happen like that. No, it doesn't. I think the chairman there is, you know, the culprit. I mean, he he's coming out. It's a funny quote. They were slagging him off during the week saying that Everton have their own fab four. You can't be obsessed with everybody else around you. You can't buy it overnight. Like, mm. Gilfie Sigerson wasn't just going to solve all their problems by spending 60 million on a player. You know, they've other issues out there. Um, but that was his unreal expectations. And now, again, he pushed the panic button and obviously put the extra pressure on Koeman. And again, it's amazing to watch Koeman and watch Billich. The yeah. body language, when they originally took over, things were going well. But when things were going bad, it was like the whole weight of the world was on. And the they started to look older, they don't they? really weathered badly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and it's incredible. Now, you look at Wenger, and there's a guy that's been under pressure, I think, for the last... 10 bloody years now at this stage maybe yeah. the last five you know he kept himself alive with a couple of FA Cups and whatnot. but yeah he's earned himself that extra year or that time like they're never you know they're never going to get sucked into anything or those extra than 10 not, years extra 10 years <laughs> but it's amazing you know and he's earned that and he, I still think he will make his decision when he leaves the club it, he won't be pushed unless something drastic happened. Oh, well, I'm not going to agree on you. I'm going to tell you he's going to finish at the end of this season. He signed the telltale sign was he he's got a two year contract at the end of this season. There's no way that Arsenal are, are going to let next year happen where they're all saying Willie won't he stay? He's going to go at the end of this. They got the two years yeah. to give them a break from the media, and he'll finish at the end oh, of this right. year. All right, so you think just buying himself time I think for last year? Th- that's it. They were, yeah. I'd say he has this year and. He's not going to win at him this year, and if he doesn't get a Champions League, he is gonzo. Yeah, well, that's they were mentioning it there now this week that he looks to be stacking his side for the Europa League. Yeah, and this is a big one for him. And if he can pull that off, you know, that oh, well, that's time. brilliant, and that yeah. might buy him the but time. I mean, that's a difficult. But that's what he needs to do. He needs to. He needs to win the Europa League. He, he needs does. to get into the Champions League to have any case of backing himself up. Yeah. But he, they needed to bite the bullet earlier on, getting rid of Sanchez and Uzil in the summer, yeah. and not have players there it backfired it's incredible them. isn't yeah. it that you can have two of your players leave now, in six months before we go on the break there is another team Newcastle United who the managerial merry-go-round seems to be always there but now at the moment they have a steady manager mm-hmm. in Benitez um, we'll, we'll have a listen this is Jermaine Genus talking about you know, you've got to be realistic Fletcher right this, this Newcastle side is not it's not a top team, you know. It's really not. And to, if they remain in the Premier League this year, as far as I'm concerned, I think it's a it's a miracle. I really do. I don't. When I look at them individually, I don't. I, I think if it, if Benitez wasn't there, I, I honestly think would, they would 100% go down. Um, this is the type of game, as Don said, where it might not. Uh, 
it might not help Newcastle the fact that they have to win it. it they, they just have to. And yeah. the fans, although they endured that horrible 45 minutes you know against Manchester City and dealt with it they won't accept no. anything less than kind of full steam ahead against Swansea and a result because it, you know it, it it keeps Swansea obviously at bay number one and you know and they, they need the wins they need to start churning out a few results so Benitez will he ever get the back in financially to be able to bring them on to the next level because at the moment Newcastle are bottom half team yep. and the players they have are bottom half team and, and there's no getting away from that yeah I, I think they're in a very very dangerous situation now they're on like 23 points it's no man's land come January it's just no man's land they are uh, under Mike Astley they'll never get the money they'll never get the funding or not what Benitez would want but this thing about the takeover is hovering and I think that the reason why Benitez gets all the time and, and all the patience at Newcastle at the moment, well, maybe not if they slip into the bottom three, is because of the stature of a manager that he is. They yeah. haven't had someone like him in a while. He's, he's proper, proper pedigree. But again, he can only do so much. And I think Genus is dead right there with the squad they have. I mean, there's some really, really poor looking pa- players on paper in that squad. Um, I'd love to see him get a bit of money and do well there. Even for Newcastle, it looks to be a great, uh, a great city and a great set of supporters and all the rest. But until they get take over or taken over or mo- take over money, not a lot's going to change there, regardless who you have manager. Yeah. Okay, we'll talk to you after the break. bit of Joe Cocker on Liffey Sound 96.4 FM. Welcome to the big kickoff. It's 087-062-7138 if you want to contact us and the big kickoff 96.4 at gmail.com. Neil, transfer news. Yeah, so big ones going well. The ones that are done are done. Coutinho is done. He's gone. Gone. How does that make you feel? Oh, I'm sick over it. Are you? Yeah, I'm a bit sick over that. Do you know what it is? It's not even the fact that he's gone. It's the fact that another one of your best players is gone to Barcelona. And because you can't keep the South Americans. That's that's their dream. That's what they want to do. I don't think it mattered what they would have offered him. Yeah. He, he Barcelona was his pinnacle. Well, and he was going to go. They had a thing I read the other day. A food chain that is a common place and it seems to be you go from Celtic to Southampton you go from Southampton to Liverpool and you go from Liverpool to Barcelona if, go, yeah. if you're the best of the best yep. So, and that seems to be the way it is a lot of players are doing that sort of uh, I suppose pathway does it kill you that Liverpool can't keep their top players? Yes, I think it's, it's, you don't, I pull it this, you don't want to be in five years time ten years time you don't want to be Arsenal that that's kind of the, the roadmap they need to avoid you cannot keep losing your best players like that now Coutinho Suarez grand who's the next in line now once Liverpool keep generating and keep producing these guys great but uh, yeah you definitely want to keep losing them like that it's, it's, it is worrying and yet look this was inevitable probably a year ago we all knew it was it got drawn out maybe a little bit surprising that they did the business so quick uh, and they didn't wait till the summer because the league is wrapped up 
Um, he can play Champions League. It's, it's a shame, I think, more than anything. It would have been good to see him finish out because he's having a good season um, and just to see where he could have gone, you know. Um, and obviously when you don't get a replacement in or a direct replacement in, questions be asked. Is Liverpool, or are, sorry, Liverpool in a position that Arsenal were about three years ago? So you're saying 10 years, but it might be about three years ago. Yeah, that, a year. yeah And I, now Arsenal are in an even worse predicament because will they get any more star players in yep. again they're going to have to create them I, I feel so maybe Liverpool are, in, are, are slightly ahead of Arsenal in that respect but they need to start getting it comes down to silverware as well mm. Arsenal haven't been winning silverware Liverpool haven't been winning silverware if you don't get the silverware the, the, the players aren't as I mean they get the money nearly anywhere yeah well I think the, the, the one contrast and difference between Liverpool and Arsenal Arsenal went through this phase where they spent no money while they built their stadium and all the rest and Wenger was brilliant but they were successful at the same time they were mm. you know constantly top four and chasing a few trophies fair enough they always fell in around kind of March, April but at least they were there thereabouts so you couldn't really knock them for it Liverpool are a little different now that they're spending so they spent on Van Dijk and they've spent on Naby Keita so big big money like whatever it's like 70, 70 million each and they're bringing in Keita now before this deadline, by the looks of it, anyway, they say they seem to have an, an extra bloody 17 million or whatever it is. They're going to release him early and get him in. So that that's a comfort that, you know, fair enough, you're letting a guy go, but you're bringing in two, re- well, what are supposed to be really, really good players. Mm. So that that's that's a plus, you know, where Wenger never, Wenger was always going, we've money to spend, but they, they never spent it. it. They were linked with uh, Higuain for about nine years straight and they never got him. You know, they never even made a bid, I would say. But yeah. he always said he had the money. Now, the transfer money's gone mad now. Absolutely mad. But at least Liverpool are, are spending where they need to spend. The Daily Star Sunday have linked Liverpool with Alexis Sanchez, another club to be licked, linked with Alexis Sanchez. Yeah. What do you think of his whole saga? I'm reading the paper here now. You have Paul Merson urging Arsenal to swap him with uh, Mkhitaryan. Yeah. because that would make sense for him um, you have Andy Cole coming out and saying you know you should do everything they can to get Sanchez whoever gets Sanchez and I still think it could be City you just don't know with this um, it will be very it'll be a huge huge asset to their side more so you weaken Arsenal further and then you gather their best player Yeah, and I, I, I'm not surprised everybody's after him Um it's interesting he wasn't good enough for Barcelona, but he's good enough for everybody else. Well, when you leave any club, you're not good enough, I suppose. No, this but is the it. thing is, with Arsenal, his attitude hasn't been good. That's the only thing. You have to have a really good attitude to, to make it at teams. Maybe that's what happened at Barcelona. Now you can see it at, at Arsenal. So it, yeah. it's a gamble, maybe, to, to splash out any be. sort of money um, on him. Can he repeat his form? Would he be as effective in a side like City? who knows um, there's definitely plenty because of the price the price is right you'll get him for 25-30 million and at that price everybody will gamble on him everybody will gamble on him and I mean some of them need I might say the likes of United need that type of player uh, City possibly not yeah. but uh, they'll all duke it out Liverpool he'd be ideal to play for Liverpool the way they play provided he can readjust his attitude but do Liverpool need it's not the type of player they, no. they have that player in abundance don't yeah, they yeah I think they do um, that's what I'm saying so where do you fit him well look it'd be a nice headache to have wouldn't it 20, yeah. 30 million and you have a guy that's proven so is all you need to do is, is, is well not fix him but get him back going again on the straight and narrow but uh, I was saying there the, the, the rumbles coming from the Arsenal dressing room and these things don't come out by accident the, the kind of dissent and people saying they don't you know 
there's problems with Sanchez. That that type of thing very rarely comes out of the dressing room. But the fact that that's made it out into the social media aspect, it was problem. It's it was worrying. It was when he was down his his little child tempers st- stomping around the pitch and stuff yeah, like that. Like, yeah, that's that'd drive me mad. Yeah, drive me mad. Yeah. Uh, Francis Coughlin moved from Arsenal and went to Valencia. There you go. What does that say then about Arsenal? I mean, uh, did. Uh, do they feel that they have someone in? Do they need to get someone else in? It's always been a problem, the midfield for Arsenal. Yeah, Arsenal are a strange breed like that. Uh, it's it's basically they've gotten rid of the one midfielder that was different than all the rest. A, a proper out-and-out defensive midfielder because he does not fit the Wenger profile. Um, and that's it. On his way, he wasn't getting games. So I, a good move for him if you're not getting in. It wouldn't surprise me if Coughlin in five years' time people were talking about him as a big name in, in uh, Spain because he could be that type of player that will go up a level when he goes to another club. You know, yeah. it could be just suited. Different players, you know yourself, are suited under different managements, different management styles. Well, that happened with Stephen and Zanzi, who left Blackburn there you go. to go to... Isn't Valencia? Isn't that who he's uh, with? He's Valencia, yeah, yeah. Or Sevilla. Or Sevilla. 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 To Sevilla. And he's seen as a, a top-class player over there. You yeah. know, where he was at Blackburn, he was seen as a decent player, but nothing more yeah. than that. So... Yeah, it, it, it depends on the situation. There's life, there's life after the Premier League, you know. There's a couple of whispers. Um, Liverpool to Southampton for Daniel Sturridge. Can you see that um, happening? I, do you know what it is? At this stage, I don't think anyone would begrudge Daniel Sturridge a move. And it would be just interesting whether they can get any game time out of him or consistent game time. You talk about a gamble. Daniel Sturridge is a massive, massive gamble. Mm. I think he will get goals on other teams. But I mean his work rate isn't great and his injury rate is just appalling so what a gamble to take you'd have to take him in some sort of a pays you play or something like that yeah. but what, I mean, look listen Sturridge I don't think he owes Liverpool a whole lot if he's genuinely injured when he's injured um, you wouldn't begrudge him moving on you know Yeah, no doubt that he can stick a ball away yeah Aver- uh, Arsenal to Everton yeah, he this, and this is starting to pick up pace because Sam Allardyce actually commented on it the other day. Yeah, he he needs to move. He's fallen absolutely out of favour. Um, he he turned into one of these players that five six games in a row in the Premier League he just exploded and then he disappeared to this year where he hasn't appeared at all. No. So he needs a move. He, he does. definitely needs a move big time. Um, and again, maybe worth a punt. I mean, he could you know if he's get, playing regular, they get he good. Could do well. They get good money for him. They got, I mean, they got thirty million for for the Ox. Yeah. And that's the, that's the, that's the, you know the bargain of the year for, for Arsenal. Yep, I think because yep. I don't think he's going to do too much at uh, Liverpool. Um, Sacco from West Ham to Crystal Palace, the centre forward, doesn't it? Yeah, that's a load of Sacco's. There's a whole load of Sacco's <laughs> around. <laughs> but again, West Ham. If you look at West Ham, what they buy in doesn't be great. Hmm. And that's, I think the start, the start, the start, the, the buying that they bring in in the transfer market just kill them they think the, some players that they have that they put, yeah. if they put a big price tag on them that they'll actually do something yeah they, they have a couple of players they, they seem to bring in out of nowhere Billage brought in a handful of Italian players well, like Lanzini and a few of them and they look good they look good players but uh, their policy is on you like they're trying to compete with Spurs and Arsenal and it's I don't know at West Ham like they have a great stadium they're you know they brought in Moyes now and they've kind of steadied the ship but where do they go from here do they kick on how long will it take Moyes to get them up that next level it's a big ask it is a, a big very ask. big ask especially if the, if the dressing room isn't the kind of dressing room that he wants yeah. that could take a year mm-hmm. you know to, to, to weed out the players that he wants in and get the players in you know yourself you don't go in a transfer window and get seven or eight players and if you do it, it takes time to get them moulded together so it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a process and that they're needs competing to be done. They are, I know they're a London club but they're competing with Spurs and, and uh, Arsenal I mean they're heavyweights 
Um, I was listening to an interview with Moyes there during the week and he was saying that he has settled in now but he said it hit him like a ton of bricks walking into that job and he was glad of the kind of previous issues that he had and the ups and the downs that he reckoned helped him get to where he is now but he seems reasonably happy where he's at so you know if he's stabilised a mid-table that, that's a job well done this year you know Johnny Evans world class defender <laughs> he's been linked with every big club Arsenal's yeah. the Man City's you know why? No, I, I do understand he's a good he's a good defender. Yeah, but how honest. did he go from Manchester United to West Brom? Yeah, and now, now all of a sudden, so he, after. He, or is it just that these teams are so desperate for a good defender? Yeah, I, I think that's part of it. Let's be honest. If he went from any other club but Man United and was just at West Brom, I don't think anyone would even mention him. But he's had a good season. He's, he's solid enough oh, yeah. player. He does well for the, for Northern Ireland. I think um, it just shows the lack of quality experienced players, defenders in particular, especially centre-halves. Um, the fact that people... I mean, City were looking at buying him last season as a kind of a stopgap when uh, company couldn't stay fit. So, yeah, it's, it's unusual. But, I mean, West Brom would probably get super money for him yeah. and replace him reasonably, you know, with their type of player. I think they'd replace him reasonably good. But, yeah, I mean, if the likes of City are going to offer money or something like that, you could see that being done. Yeah. Um, in the Premier League, who, which club in the top six, seven are the club that need to purchase someone most in January? Um, I would say squad-wise, and it's, it's strange to mention Chelsea, but I'd say Spurs ahead of Chelsea as far as if they want to match their ambition. Spurs' uh, first 11 are really, really good, but they're paper thin after that. Yeah. Absolutely paper thin. And you're only going to really notice it now when the Champions League kicks off again. Um, the FA Cup and all gets going again. You're, they're going to be exposed for only having Harry Kane. I know they have backup, but I mean, it's not of the same quality. Chelsea, exactly the same role. Um, as soon as they lose any of their front men, they're in big, big trouble. Yeah. Uh, but they, they need to, I, I don't think they're going to do business because there just isn't anyone out there I've said it before about Spurs I always think that they need and I said this to, I think we were talking before that they need a player who can take on someone they need a player who can open up the game they're very intricate in their pass and you can, I mean they, they won't, it was 4-0 yes I think against Everton so you can't turn around and say that they're not a good team that they're not winning games I always just think though that they need that pe player in there that can open the game up a little bit uh, especially when you know they're they're in that nil nil situation or the one nil down situation where they're losing the, maybe the vital points to be up challenging maybe yeah. you know it's, it's just that type of they have a different style of football though don't they as yeah. far as if you look at Liverpool in contrast with Spurs Liverpool attack down the flanks with speed and pace the two guys that can run past you whereas Spurs rely on Ericsson is their go-to guy to cut you open from the middle so completely different uh, way of playing but I totally agree with you they, they do need something and I said they've grown a couple of players and they've, they've a good squad 12 maybe 13 but you need a bigger squad and I think Liverpool have actually done well this year insofar as they've bolstered their squad now fair enough Chan will leave in the summer but he won't leave till the summer yeah. so you don't have to worry about it till yeah. then Henderson got an injury it doesn't matter you've got Milner you've got Oxlade Chamberlain Kiet if he comes in they've got a bit more strength and depth um, maybe if Firmino got injured Liverpool we could be saying the same thing like with Harry Kane um, of who they'd replace him with but um, 
Yeah, no, definitely Chelsea and Chelsea and, and Spurs for me definitely need to improve. N- Chelsea not the squad, but definitely the striking options. And Spurs, I think if Harry Kane again got injured for them, like what they're, would they're in trouble, do? aren't they? They've they got Lorente, but Lorente's not a, a goal machine. Lorente's yeah. a, a, a big man to stick up forward, you play off. You yeah, know, and so. it's so important for them to finish top four this season as well with their structure, the way Levy runs them. They have to get into that top four. And I mean, the top four is a dogfight this year, yeah. an absolute dogfight. Um, Barcelona are, I suppose, we're going to say steaming ahead, but they're steaming ahead of Real Madrid because, you know, they're the two main rivals. But what's going on Madrid? What needs to be changed? Does it need yeah. to be changed again? They lost last night against Villarreal 1-0. Yeah, Madrid are in trouble. Zidane is under pressure now. How much pressure that is, it only comes from the chairman. He makes all the key decisions at that club and whether he likes you or doesn't like you. I think he might get a little bit more time. It's hard to say. Now, that could be a week. It could be two weeks. But I think they've already, you may as well concede the league is over. Um, and it kind of depends now how they get on in the Champions League and they're up against Paris Saint-Germain next, which is the big fish. Funny, so that's going to be very interesting. Funny enough, the way that weird club, because it is an odd club about yeah. what way they are, you could win the treble and get sacked, you know, so it doesn't really make a difference. But the way the club is run, the Champions League seems to take somewhat more of a, a shine than the La Liga. Now, they hate le- losing the La Liga, especially it's to Barcelona. But if he got a decent run going in the league and then went on to win the Champions League that could be his reprieval to, him, to, yeah. to hang on I mean he's been brilliant for them yeah we were talking earlier on there about the different aspects and type of managers I guarantee you Zidane isn't on the training ground uh, running drills and stuff with players but I guarantee you he just look he knows how to deal with world class big egos he obviously knows how to keep them in check on the, uh, in the dressing room and on the pitch different type of manager uh, where would they get another replacement for the likes of Zidane because I think at Madrid the ship kind of steers itself a certain amount you just need a guy to deal with the world class players in the dressing room mm-hmm. um, now what's happened to them now is I think they've, they've actually fallen and they've gotten a little slack they've no new blood come into that team maybe Asensio or one of them you know they, they need maybe an injection of another star in there um, Bale has been injured and he's back now but he hasn't been a presence there's rumours about him leaving uh, Ronaldo's not getting any younger you know Cruz and Modric it feels like they've been there forever but yeah. again they've not, they don't seem to have a lot Isco looked like the next successor to one of them and now he's in and out of the side there's something not quite right with them they're not but then quite again, firing. it's the first uh, first year I remember I don't know if they bought anyone last year but that they didn't buy you know a star player yes and Barcelona have gone now and they've done the know, opposite. spent the Neymar money fair yeah. enough to let go of Neymar but they consolidated and then they've done the opposite what was it Dembele and uh, Coutinho now go in there and you yeah. guarantee they're going to be still doing more business so yeah. they don't even look to be as active searching out the big players which yeah. is unusual for Madrid Barcelona are on 48 points Real Madrid 32 points so 16 point gap yeah, that's incredible and the funny thing is Real Madrid are in fourth behind Atletico and Valencia but right behind them Villarreal who beat them uh, are on 31 points or a point behind them and Sevilla are, are three points behind them so they've got clubs behind them who can take advantage of it it'd yeah. be you know, the only it'd be unforgivable not to get into the top four. Unforgivable, especially in a Spanish league. I mean, there literally is just the two of them. But I will say is Real Madrid have a habit of not being overly brilliant pre-Christmas, and then when it comes to the kind of crunch time, they should be closer to Barcelona. I imagine they want to be within a few points. But come, you know, the turn of the year is when they really, really seem to get the machine going, and the Champions League is there, and everything just always seems to come together for them. Even when they weren't having a great season domestically. 
look what they did in the Champions League the last two years yeah. was they yeah. just steamrolled teams which was so impressive so whether they still have that in them and that's coming I don't know but uh, it'll be a hugely interesting game anyhow with um, Real Madrid and Paris Saint-Germain in the will, Champions will, League just in Germany uh, Bayern Munich they're 13 points ahead in the league is, is that another Scotland? It's another France. It's another Scotland. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, they, they, it's too easy, isn't it? And, and the worst thing is Dortmund, who are in fourth again and, and are battling for Champions League uh, yeah. places. They sell all their players to them. I, I don't get it. I don't they get do. why you would sell it to, the, to your main rival. The other thing Munich do really, really well. I think they're only rivaled with Chelsea on this. Correct me if I'm wrong. They loan out a lot of their young talent. Yeah. Munich do. And yeah. if you look at Emre Chan, he was loaned out by Munich. He was bought by somebody else. For Liverpool to get them, there was some sort of a contractual thing. If they'd have let it go another year or six months, they wouldn't have been able to get him. Munich would have had the first refusal on him, and Liverpool kind of nipped in there. So they're very clever. They're very, very well ran, and they seem to plan ahead by a decade. Yeah. Brilliantly ran club. But the downside of that is they hoover up all the talent in the league. Yeah. Everyone goes to Munich. They don't lose their top players, which is impressive considering your Barcelonas and your Real Madrids. But they mainly invest in German players, and that's why they don't want to leave Germany. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's a shame that it's always a one-horse race. I mean, when they lose, it's just an absolute shock. Um, but that's the lack of talent that there is in Germany and the other teams. When you go to Syria, uh, there's <clears throat> a bit more of a, a race. Napoli are on 51 points leading the, the division. Juventus are on 50, I suppose, Inter on 42 points, eight points behind. So at least there's a bit of a race in that where Juventus had run yeah. away with the league for a good few years there. Yeah, it's again, Juventus are the big fish. It's hard to keep up with them, but Napoli are doing a good job there. It'd be, and again, you want to see them pushed. I don't think anyone in any league wants to see someone with. Look at the Premier League this year now, like everyone is conceding it's over already. Um, it doesn't make it overly exciting. So all of a sudden you're talking about second, third, and fourth place yeah. Champions League. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to go to an ad break, and straight after the ad break, we had a, a pre record with Darren McAnthony, the Peter B. United chairman. He let us know about the ins and outs of running a professional club and it's quite an interesting interview so after the break broadcasting to lucan this is liffy sound 96.4 fm at 30 years of age darren mcanthony became chairman of peterborough united in 2006 he was the youngest chairman in the football league since darren's takeover the club has enjoyed three promotions including three seasons in the championship but also two relegations which has since left the club in League One for the fifth year in a row. While winning the Johnson's Payne Trophy, the high of the club, we're going to talk to Dara now about creating more magic moments and what he has in line for the Posh's future. Dara, welcome to the big kickoff. <laughs> Great to be on. I can't believe you're mentioning relegation. Well, I presume the fans are, 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 are keen to let you know about every negative situation. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't be the same if it wasn't like that. So that's quite normal for fans. And, uh, you, know, you wouldn't have it any other way to be fair. No. Um, listen, obviously, uh, to be a chairman of a club, you need to have some financial strength. So can you briefly share with us your story from Dublin and all your journey all the way to Peterborough United? Uh, sure, yeah, no problem, um, without boring people. Uh, I left Dublin when I was 15. My family moved to the south of Spain. Um, I was educated in the south of Spain. We lived in Marbella. Um, around 22, I opened up my own real estate company. Um, within a short space of time, um, I ended up employing over uh, 1,500 people in about 20 countries worldwide. 
we sold a lot of property. We did very well. Um, I developed. Um, then, obviously, 08, the crash came. wasn't good for anybody, including, obviously, Ireland. Yeah. Um, obviously, it pretty much uh, it took me out of real estate for a while. I retired to Orlando, Florida in 2000, uh, 2010 um, when I was about 32, 33. And moved my family over there to educate my kids in the States. And I've lived there ever since. In between, obviously, while I owned the real estate company, I wanted to get involved in football. Big passion of mine, big Liverpool fan. I couldn't afford to buy Liverpool, so I sat with Peter <laughs> United. And uh, a great way to lose money, a uh, great way to have fun, and a great way to age you very quickly. I was the youngest chairman at 29.30 in the Football League, youngest owner. I think I still am the youngest owner at 41. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's been fun. It's been a ride. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't have it any other way. So, Sky One airs Big Ron Manager. Uh, sure. Do you want to describe, I suppose for anyone who hasn't seen Big Ron Manager, do you want to describe, um, I suppose, what the programme was about and what caught your attention? No, people always think it was because of Big Ron, Ron I bought Peterborough. It's actually, uh, that's, that's false. Um, I was actually negotiating by, quite a, well, two or three clubs at the time, and uh, Peterborough was one of them. And uh, I was in my office in Spain, and the Big Ron Manager was playing on the background. Um, I had Sky in the office, and that was about, obviously, the club needed money. And Big Ron was in there to help, and it was a bit of a car crash TV documentary. Uh, great entertainment, obviously. But um, from you know, obviously, I saw it on TV, and it, it obviously it didn't put me off. I knew it was a club. I wanted to buy a club that was in trouble um, because I wanted to you know rip everything off and go A to Z with new policies, new ideas I have for the football world, um, based on a lot of statistics. That's why I wanted to get involved, and uh, and there we are. Yeah, I I briefly watched it again last night just for a little bit of research. About four minutes, 55 seconds into Big Round Manager, Barry Fry says, my advice to anyone is don't buy a football club. <laughs> Why didn't <laughs> you listen way, to him? <laughs> great way to sell his own club, wasn't it? In fairness, it worked a treat because you came along. Yeah, like I said, you know, I'm I'm a I'm, I'm pretty fearless guy. And at 29.30, you're pretty fearless and dumb at the best of times. Yeah. And, um, you know, it didn't put me up. Like I said to you, I, I didn't want to buy a club that was at a finished product or finished article. I wouldn't have been able to afford to do that. So I needed to buy a club that was pretty much in the doldrum, doldrums, needed uh, new energy, needed new ideas. And uh, that's what I did when I went to Peterborough. Brilliant. When you sat in the chairman's seat for the first time, so you're young, you're going in. This is a dream. Everyone plays football manager now and wants to be a, a manager and a chairman and all that sort of stuff. But when you sat in that chair for the first time, what were you thinking? On your own now, what were you thinking? Yeah, no, I was thinking that, you know, this is this is normal. I mean, people always say, oh, you know, the agents and everything else, that it surprise you. Well, when you've worked in real estate, you know, you, you, you're, de- you're used to dealing with sharks, so to speak. Um, nothing really surprised me, you know. I'm, I'm In my 20s, I was pretty mature. Like I said, I ran a big business from nothing, um, started from nothing. So going into football and sitting there as a chairman, I... To be fair, you know, it's like when you're doing well in life and whatever and things like that happen, those moments go by quickly and you don't sit there and think about how great it is and how wonderful it is. You just, I'm the type of guy that likes to get stuck in. Yeah. I've always prided myself on being the hardest worker in the room. And, um, you know, that's what I did when I bought Peterborough. What was the long-term plan back in 2006 and how has it worked out? The long-term plan was obviously to get us up the leagues as quick as possible. Um, was to devise a scheme and a policy that would mean that eventually I wouldn't have to keep putting money and the club would be self-sufficient. It was based on young, hungry players and a successful youth academy. Yeah. Um, has it worked out the way I wanted to? No. We, we've taken some bumps along the way. Um, we got close. You know, We had back-to-back promotions. We were in the championship. We were relegated with 54 points, which I think is in the Guinness Book of Records from the championship and last kick of the season. So 
like I said to you, we've had a kick between the legs a, a few times, but nothing that will kill us. And, uh, you know, we're still going strong and our policy still going strong. And we generate a lot of interest in, in our football club because of the style of football we play and the young, talented players we produce. So, you know, my, my goals are as strong as ever. I want to buy the stadium. I want to get us back to the championship. And I want to kick on from there. So, you know, the Premier League dream obviously is massive, but it's been shown with Blackpool and Huddersfield and Bournemouth that it can be done. And it, it can be done without going absolutely crazy. Yeah. The, uh, just you're talking about the youth, youth academy. I was looking at an article there the other day um, with Falkirk and, and Brentford, and there's a few clubs who have decided to stop their academy. Are you seeing sure. bene- are you seeing benefits from your academy? Yeah, 100. percent We've got one of the youngest, you know, most talented players under the age of 20 in Leonardo Silva Lopez. That you know, I could pick up the phone tomorrow and sell him um, for seven figures to a Premier League club. Um, we've produced Jermaine Anderson, another one who was close to moving to Southampton before his ACL injury a couple of years ago. Um, we have sold a couple of youngsters to Premier League. So for us, it's more about can we produce two, three, four players every couple of years for our first team? Yeah. You know, our squad of 20, 22 at the moment probably has five youth academy players as part of it. So we, we are getting there. It's, you know, we're category, obviously, C at the moment, uh, category three, it's called. Yeah. Um, we want to move up to category two, which means more investment from us, and that's something we're doing. We, we've got our own training ground, which is a, an absolutely fantastic facility, probably better than a lot of League One facilities. And, you know, it, it's one of those things where it's not done overnight. It's going to take time, but I'd be disappointed in the next three years if we didn't have half of the team coming from the Youth Academy. Great. Um, your working week, what's, what's it like for a chairman, like especially one who lives in America? Well, in January and August, I spend a lot of time in the UK where I am here at the moment, and there's a lot of moving parts going on. And You know, like the last five or six days has been non-stop madness since we beat Aston Villa. Um, <laughs> you know, we're trying to bring in players. There are our, our top clubs after some of our talents. So it's it's basically a lot of liaison with Barry Fry. I deal with a lot of agents myself. Um, you know, we deal with a lot of clubs. And it's making sure the manager has the goods and what he wants by the end of January for the final run-in for hopefully a big promotion push. Right. Um, when I'm in America... I've got other stuff I do apart from football, but I spend a good two, three, four hours a day on Peterborough United business. So it's not just the day-to-day stuff of, of, of playing games on Saturdays or Tuesdays. It's the youth academy, it's stadium, it's, it's commercial. It's, it's all those things that go into running a business. And when you're an owner of a club, you pretty much do it for free. Yeah, yeah. Um, match day, what do you do and how are you at watching games? I'm a pretty superstitious guy. I'm a terrible person to watch the game with because I'm, 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 I'm aggressively nervous. I didn't think um, I didn't think superstition and business head went together. They do for me. Uh, <laughs> I've always been that way. I'm probably very OTD. Um, I don't do interviews or any press on a match day. I've always been superstitious because something happened in the first year I, I bought the club. Um, so I, you know, a match day if, if it's a home game, I'll get to the ground at twelve twelve thirty. I'll watch the early game that's on on Sky or BT in my office. Um, I'll have a lunch, a few coffees in there. I'm not one of those that socializes with the away directors. I don't like sitting down for lunch. I like to be in my own office. The manager will come in. We'll have a chat. Um, you know, if there's agents, if there's friends, if there's people, scouts, I know they'll come in for a chat. Then we watch the game. Then if we win or lose, obviously the door in my office gets either torn off or put back together. So it's, ba- it's, it's a bad it's weekend for the family, is it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously in America, it's terrible because I watch the games live from my office at 10 a.m. out in America. Yeah. And it's finished by 12, so it can really spoil your weekend if it doesn't go to plan. <laughs> I know that. I know that feeling. <laughs> uh, listen, in the Premier League, there's, a, I suppose, the seasonal... Uh, panic sackings by clubs who are, I suppose, not in a position they'd like to be. Sorry, in. buddy, I missed that last bit there, wouldn't you? I said in the Premier League, there is seasonal panic sackings by clubs who are, I suppose, not in a position that they'd like to be in. 
Sure. Now, you've had to let go of a few managers. Uh, from a chairman's point of view, uh, can you talk us through the decisions that have to be made, the emotions involved, what are the key indicators, and I suppose what have you learned from uh, previous situations? Yeah, look, I, I've always said it's, it's, it's the most horrible job in the world. I wouldn't advise anyone to become a football manager or a coach. It's not good for your families. The life expectancy is probably 11 months, um, which isn't good for a job. No. Um, it's tough. It's great when you're higher up the pyramid and you get fired and paid big money. When you're lower down the pyramid, it's, it's very tough. There's only 72 jobs in the football league. Um, you know, you, we probably go through, what, 60% of those change every year. Um, so trying to, trying to you know, keep a manager and a bit of consistency. And, because, you know, when a club's got a policy and a philosophy, you want whoever you employ to, to maintain that and continue it and obviously prosper. Um, if you change manager, it's tough to make that call. Do you do it at the end of a season? Do you do it during the season? Some people pull the trigger. Some people panic. So, you know, I've had my manager now for, what, 18 months. Mm. He's done well. Yeah. Um, could he have done better? Yes, he's a young manager. So I'm working with him all the time. I've got a good relationship. But he's not hes not naive either. He knows that at the end of the day, promotion's a, a, a must for us. and We have to challenge. So at the moment, we're challenging. We'd like to be a bit closer to the pack. But, you know, there's, there's 20-odd games left. And we've got a good cup run. But we must focus on the league now. So it, 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 it's a horrible business for that. And, and unfortunately... I tend to do it myself. I don't let anyone else fire managers. I'll call the managers myself and talk them through with it because I think they deserve the respect for that. Yeah. Um, and I've gone through a few managers in my time. You make mistakes when you recruit people. and You know, they do an interview and they a lot of lip service. Yeah, we're buying into what the club does. And then they come in and within four months, they want to do everything differently and not what the club policy is. And that sometimes can lead to issues. So a really important relationship is between the manager and the owner or chairman of a football club. Yeah. And if you don't have that relationship, you're goosed as a manager, in my opinion. Communication. So I, I, yeah, I tend to be very close to all the managers that work for me. Uh, I've watched a couple of interviews with Grant McCann, uh, your manager, and I have to say I'm a fan of his cr- controlled demeanour. Is he always like that? Yeah, he, he's a pretty calm guy. It must be the Irish blood. Um, <laughs> he, he, he's pretty calm most of the time. He's got that temper on him. He was a great player and captain for us, a great leader. I think he inspires from from Matt. He's not. I don't think he's a ranter and a raver. Um, you know, we get on very well. Yes, we've had disagreements, as you will do with anybody that works for you. Um, but he's somebody that you know. I've got a lot of belief in him, and, and we're trying to you know get him evolving and becoming better as a manager all the time. And as I said, he's 18 months into it. It's 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 a tough gig for him. You know, he's he's a young guy, 36, 37. He works for a pretty hard taskmaster. And you know, our fans and me, we all expect success, promotion, and, and fairy tale football. So, for your first job in football, you've done well. What makes a good manager? Uh, what makes a good manager? I think somebody who's level-headed. I think somebody who's not overly emotional. I think somebody who's got perspective and overview of what a club's all about, not just his own views on football and his own philosophy. Somebody who'll listen. Um, somebody who doesn't mind hearing opinions from people higher up in a football club. I'm not saying you have to control the manager. Somebody who's decisive. Um, somebody who has you know authority about them, the way they deal with a manager or the way they will deal with a player, or whether it's a good player or a bad player or a different player, somebody who's got discipline, um, somebody with a great work ethic, and somebody with belief, you know, that no matter if they're managing Peterborough or Real Madrid, that they're going to have to win every football game. Yeah. And definitely somebody with an attacking uh, philosophy. You know, I'm, I'm not one of those who wants to see my team play counter-attacking football to win 1-0 or grind out 0-0 at, at, at tough away ties. So Martin O'Neill won't be getting the job? No. <laughs> I know Martin very well but no. I, won't, I won't go there uh, listen uh, Barry Fry is still there um, yeah. larger than life character what, what's his role? 
he's brilliant. Barry's worked for me now for 11 years. He's director of football, technical director, you would call it, at, at bigger clubs. He's one of the best in the business. He knows everybody in the football league. Um, there isn't anybody in the game he can't ring to do a deal with. Um, he plays a great role for the club. and uh, He's a great support base for the manager. He's very involved with the youth academy. And you'll never meet a 72-year-old who's got as much energy as a 22-year-old. <laughs> Um, yeah, and I have to say, I mean, I think the younger generation now will see Barry Fry on YouTube and per- <laughs> perceive him as that. I seen a clip on, on Facebook the other day and I had a, a clip of football in the 90s and it's a clip of sure. Barry Fry ranting and raving. All right, but that, sure. I'm sure football wasn't always like that, but uh, sure. good yeah. lad, yeah. Uh, He's mellowed. Mellowed, good. But everyone does with age. <laughs> uh, Twitter. Tell me about it. Is is it a good idea or a bad idea that you're so uh, there's so much communication with you and the fans? I think it's a great idea. Um, I'm very honest, very direct. I think I can cut through the, the bull s and the nonsense that's out there. I can shoot down rumours, gossip, speculation. It gives fans direct direct access to me. Um, anyone who's issues or problems, I tend to answer a lot of questions. Probably too many questions. Um, I can get over emotional early on. I did. I'm not as bad nowadays. I try and be very careful about what I tweet, particularly after a result. Um, anyone who's got a problem with it, that's their issue, not mine. Yeah. Um, I just think it's a great communication tool. I think all owners should be on Twitter. Yeah. Well, you, you, you know, you always have the fans that there's, there's logical fans and there's uh, emotional fans. And you're going to get more emotional fans on Twitter, aren't you? Yeah, and trolls. So you're going to get a good mix on there. And I like to bat the trolls away. I think I played it quite well. Yeah. yeah. So, but, you know. It's the old saying in life, sticks and bones may break my bones, you know, but it doesn't, it doesn't bother me, some of the stuff. So I'm, I'm quite humorous on Twitter. So anyone who finds a bit of banter, a bit of fun, email one or two on Twitter. That's where it's at. Um, obviously, it's a January transfer window. So this is a, a huge uh, month for, for you and, and every other club. But what role, what role do you play in transfers? The most important role, the person who says yes or no. <laughs> so, you know, it's my checkbook. It's my money. Um, I we have a transfer committee of me, Barry, and the manager. We come up with the players, and we collectively come to a decision who we're bidding for. We've put bids in this month. We're expected to bring in three or four. We've brought one in already. Um, there's massive interest in obviously our players. There always is. We've got, you know, obviously Jack Marriott next to Harry Kane is the leading goal scorer in the country. Yeah. We've got Marcus Madison. He's got 25 odd assists. He's the best young attacking midfielder outside the Prem. So that's always going to happen at Peterborough. Obviously, the phone calls are non-stop on those players. And after they took Aston Villa to the cleaners on Saturday, the phone's been obviously busy. So yeah. if a player goes, that's my decision. But the one thing I always do is replace players, and we always bring in more. So but are, at the moment, my, my favourite one has been no. Just looking at comments from fans, are you a selling club? Well, I think it's... And, and don't take this the wrong way. That's a naive question, because every football club's a selling club. Yeah, but I think Man, you know Man what I mean, United, though. Are, are, are you looking to are you look are you looking to sell a player to and and obviously with your academy to bring more players up, so it more likely to sell or like let, let's say with Jack Marriott, he's obviously scoring you the goals now at the moment. Without him there, would that push fall apart? Well, we didn't have Jack Marriott June, okay. so you know and. and I went out and I spent half a million quid on him. Not many League One clubs with gates under 5,000 people spend half a million pounds on a young striker. Yeah. Uh, Peter B. United do consistently. So people questioned why I went out and bought him um, because he wasn't, he wasn't knocking on the door of the Luton team at the time, but we knew the potential. We, in five, six months, the manager has got the potential out of him. 
and he is electric and he's a greyhound. He's one of the quickest strikers in the league and he's now prolific. So a player like him, one of the things we say to players when we go and buy them and they choose us over other clubs is, is that we will never stand in the way of the right deal is for the club and the player. Yeah. So if I were to turn down a, a, a bid um, eventually from a massive club where they could go and pay him 20 times more money he's on per week, that causes a problem in my dressing room. So yeah. it's a fine line, a fine balance. Yeah. Um, are we a selling club? Like I said, every football club's a selling club. Yeah. And a club with our gates and whatever else, with our aspirations to go further, we always have to do a bit of business. Doesn't mean we need the money in January. No, we don't, because I pay the bills. Great. So if we do it in the summer, we do it in the summer. So there is no rush and no pressure to sell Jack or anybody else. So Great. That, an- that answers that one then. So, <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Joe, uh, Joe Ward, what does he bring to the squad? He brings pace. He brings dynamicism. He brings assists. He brings goals. He brings youthful exuberance. Um, he will bring uh, a steely mentality of young and hungry from where he's come from, so he's got a point to prove. He will blend in well with our young players. He's everything we want in a young player. Uh, that was solid business we've done there as well. And He'll be one of them in a year or two years. People will be saying, you know, are you selling Joe Ward for millions? Because that's what we expect when we bring in these young players that we scout and, and make sure they're right for us. Yeah, yeah, good. Time off? Do you get much time off? No, I, well, I like to go on holiday. Um, I always with the family in the summer we go away on a big trip but uh, in February I usually bring my missus away I'll probably bang off for 10-11 days in February with my missus just me and her leave the kids at home and uh, because I'm in the UK for a good 2-3 weeks without the family so it's always kind of you, you're playing catch up and you've got to make it up to the family very good yeah well listen most important thing is your family so you, 100% you know. uh, future for the club future for the club bright good prosperous um, I see promotions, hopefully Wembley trips, and uh, I see good things happening. Do you have a um, stadium? Is there any, I've seen something about uh, looking at uh, maybe buying or, 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 or building or, or purchasing a new stadium? Is that true? We're in negotiations to buy our current stadium that we're paying an outrageous lease on. So okay. that's kind of ongoing. I can't say a lot about it, but we are in negotiations. Good. Uh, listen, League of Ireland, do you scout much in the League of Ireland? All the time. Okay. All the time. We've obviously brought Forrester over. Yeah. Um, we just brought O'Malley over in the summer. We've had previous Irish players over on trial. Um, we're, we've always got a finger on the pulse. We, I've got a friend over there who does the scout for me. Um, I did the Forrester deal myself a couple of years ago. Best 50 grand I ever spent over there. <laughs> um, you know, O'Malley came over in the summer for just uh, a little bit short of 100 grand. Um, he's going to be probably a, a top, top young goalkeeper in the English league in the future. It's a fine balance. Some of the Irish lads that we've had over from the youth academy, they get homesick quickly. There have been issues. So yeah. we're always, we, we, we probably spend more analysing scouting an Irish player than, say, a non-league player in England because of the issues we've seen in the past. Okay, right, yeah. Um, Great ob- talent in that league, though. Obviously, and it's, it's, the standard is, is, is rising all the time. So it's, it, is, yeah. it, it is a good well to fish in. Um, listen, I, I sent you three things there. Uh, the yep. under under my cards or under my skin card the thumbs up card and the puzzles card did you get that email yeah? I got it so <laughs> okay. I go, go under my skin card under my skin what gets under your skin uh, the money paid to under 21 players in football higher up lower down Premier League youngsters some of them on 20, 30, 40 grand a week yes I've said it for years there needs to be a cap until they're 20 years of age and what they can earn um, because I think it, it, it helps breed um, level headed young men as opposed to people who are 19, 20 you think the that, you know, they're top of the world and no one can touch them. And, and, and sometimes the character development that happens when they have too much money too soon. Yeah. So that needs to change. Oh, I've I seen a, 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 an article 
there's a Manchester City player who who's only played in the the Caribou Cup and he's buying a house for two and a half million. Easy. Where 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 do you get your determination from then? Correct. Know? So that's the hunger. A, there is a, no hunger. Yeah. Uh, thumbs up card. Love the NFL in America. I'm a big fan of the of the, of the flag system. The coaches get a two flag uh, yes. challenge. It's a big thing in VAR at the moment in the UK. Yeah. I think it could be simplified. I think each manager gets two flags to put in over a, a penalty incident or a, over an offside goal. Yeah. Um, simple as. Once their challenges are up, they can't challenge anymore. VAR, VAR can't be used. In America, they have it. It's a brilliant system that works very effectively. We were talking to Killian Sheridan just before Christmas. They have the VAR system in Poland and yeah. he can't say enough good things about it. And yeah. he says, the amount of times people keep saying to me that the game's going to stop, it's going to break up the rhythm. He says, it doesn't. The game is naturally broken up anyhow. So he says... Correct. And, and, and you, can, you can bring the fans in, you can use big screens, you can advertise those big screens, more revenue for the clubs, you can get everyone involved. I think it's, it's, it's thrilling, it's exciting. So I see, I see it as a good thing. Puzzled. What are you puzzled about? Um, Ireland not getting to any World Cups recently. <laughs> yes. Very frustrating. Can, um, can I share my thoughts before you go on? With, sure. With your Bristol City were playing Manchester City the other night. This, yeah. this stuck with me. I watched the game. Bristol That's City. Go, didn't they? Oh, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And a great advertisement for, for uh, the championship. But what surprised me most was how they went about it, how they pressed, how they worked as a team and showed that average players, if that's what you want, um, that's the wrong word, but average players playing against world-class players, as in Ireland against Germany or Ireland against whoever, it's the same... Denmark. Yeah, Denmark. (laughs) Do not talk about Denmark. Uh, Same thing. So I I, I don't... We have had a lot of stuff with Ireland where uh, we were told that we're we're not good enough to play football, we're not good, we, we, we have to play in a certain way, and I don't get it. Two, two things are an issue for me with the Irish football the last few years, and no disrespect to Martin or anyone else involved. Um, it was quite obvious, you know, the Euro campaign from before, they did okay, they did well, last 16 or whatever it was, um, that it was an ageing squad. Yeah. And a lot of players needed to be put out to pasture and retired. And sometimes you have to be ruthless in doing that. And you just knew their legs weren't there to make this campaign a successful one. Um, that's a big thing for me. Um, the second thing for me is the approach to games. It's the way we set up, the way we play. Yeah. It's, you know, it's worked well for Northern Ireland. Um, you know, stay tight, stay deep, try and nick a goal. You know, a little bit of what happened against Wales, and that worked for us in the playoffs. But yeah. when you do it over 10 or 12 games, it's uninspiring. It sends out the wrong message. Um, it's just, for me, it's like you talked about Bristol City and the press and playing with a bit of belief and playing on the front foot, you know, making our home ground one of those places where it's tough to come and get a result, but we're going to win and win with a bit of panache and style. It's frustrating. It's very frustrating. And uh, when you see Iceland and other nations go out and do it, um, why can't Ireland do it? Yeah, I, I, I think it just, our players get a raw deal, I think. You know, I think under the Trapatoni reign, he put us down a lot. I think Martin O'Neill, while we were all under the great belief, and we can do it because we've seen it when Ireland played France under Trapatoni, how they can play brilliant football. Correct. We've seen Ireland in the European Championship uh, when they put it to teams that we can do it. So, yeah, I think just I think we need to have more belief in ourselves. Um, more belief, fail campaign, and not good enough. Yeah, correct. Um, Wigan at the weekend. Yeah, tough game. Um, you He's, know, obviously big team in the league. We beat them at our place. Not a lot of teams go out to attack them. We'll probably try and attack them. That leader work really well, or it'll be a disaster. 
Yeah, well, uh, you beat them this year already, didn't you? Yeah, they were at our place. They were two one up, and uh, our our one up, and we we beat them three two at our place. Brilliant. Listen, I have nothing but admiration for you. You're a sound lad, and I really, really hope might be hard this year. You playoffs, you might get through the playoffs. I doubt you get through the top two. What do you think? Uh, you know, it's tough. We've got to go on a series run. We've got to win seven, eight, nine games in a row. Yeah. ourselves in with a chance. Don't ever bet against the posh. Nothing's impossible. <laughs> Listen, Dara, we'll have a go. Dara, you're a gent. Uh, I'll be no keeping problem. an eye out for all the results and we might even pop over sometime. Thank you very much. Thanks. Man. All Enjoy your day. Appreciate it. Yeah, say hello to your viewers. Sweet. Cheers. All the best. Thanks, Dara. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And welcome back to Liffy Sound 96.4 FM. You're listening to The Big Kickoff. The email is thebigkickoff96.4 at gmail.com or 0870627138. If you want to text in, Neil, there is some premiership games on today. What have we got? Big one today, Liverpool versus Man City. What's your thoughts? Yeah, um... It's an interesting one because I think everyone is actually looking for City to be beaten at this stage. And they're kind of going, Liverpool are in a decent run. They haven't been beaten in quite some time. They've got good firepower. Obviously, they've lost Coutinho, but I mean, they still have good firepower and uh, expecting a very good game. At the same time, uh, personally, a little bit, not nervous about it, but it wouldn't surprise me if City won 3-1. And it wouldn't surprise me if Liverpool nicked it. So I'm hoping for a good game. Probably be a lot of goals. I think it just depends on whether City maybe are up for it or have the energy or the drive. It depends how they come at us. Um, But I think Liverpool are in a good place. And I think they'll also want to prove that by letting Coutinho go, by missing him, that, you know, that they can show that they're going to jog on. It's a good opportunity for them to do that, to prove it. Both have a back line that, well, I suppose, want Johnny Evans. You know, I mean, they're, they're struggling. I know they have Van Dyke's after coming in for Liverpool. It'll be interesting to see how well he can control his back line. Uh, is, it the, is it the personnel or is it the type of style that they play that leaves them open? So what what do you think? Do you think you're saying 3-1? Do you think there's going to be a good bit of goals on it? I think there's going to be goals, yeah. I think there's guaranteed goals in this. Now, I know the last time we played them, it was uh, when Aldam header that won, but that was the first time I've actually ever seen, ever, uh, Liverpool under Klopp kind of go a little bit negative where they held the middle. They had the three across the middle holding um, and they nicked the goal and they literally did nick it because there was very little else happened in that game. I don't see it going like that this time. I can see the defence has got a and it will just depend whether it's Salah or Mane or, you know, your David Silva, your De Bruyne is, or one of them making a breakthrough. But um, I would expect goals. And I think you're right. I don't. Virgil van Dijk coming in for Liverpool, yeah, I think he's an excellent player. But it doesn't change the fact that Liverpool tend to leave themselves open by pushing the fullbacks on, by not really sitting a holding midfielder there permanently. Um, so that won't change a hell of a lot as far as how easy sometimes they are on the counter. 
Okay, so your prediction, not one way or the other. What's your prediction? Uh, Darren Shales had this with with the Leinster and Ireland for the Six Nations, where he had a head prediction and he had a heart prediction. I don't want the heart. What's the head say? Um, head says one all. Okay, one all. Okay. Yeah, score draw. I think there's a heart in there. <laughs> uh, Bournemouth and Arsenal. Bournemouth and Arsenal. Bournemouth yeah, are actually not doing too. They had a bit of a slump at the start of the season. You were thinking, right, this is going to be their year to go down now because they had lost so many in a row or got only a relative few points. But they've actually come back. They've, they've had a, on a good, great run since, I think, the middle of November. So uh, Eddie Howe's doing a great job there. Shows a club that doesn't panic. Uh, obviously they owe him the world anyhow from getting them from, from the very bottom division to, to the top but uh, so he, that buys him a little bit more time uh, what kind of game is it going to be do you think and what way what way did Bournemouth go about yeah I don't know Bournemouth are I think Arsenal are perfect as in they feel real good about themselves playing a the team like Bournemouth kind of like Liverpool when they played Bournemouth previously Bournemouth left they want to play football they want to attack and they want to go at you and I think it's very very dangerous playing against someone like Arsenal I think they're tailor made to put a couple past Bournemouth if they're not on their game so I see Arsenal winning um, and I'd say they might you never know they might win comfortably they might be wrong in this obviously but I, I think Arsenal might win this by a couple um, if they get at them early and if Bournemouth then have to come at them more they leave themselves open and Arsenal are perfectly uh, just that's the type of team Arsenal generally beat comfortably yeah right we're going to see what your predictions are like now uh, Manchester United versus Stoke that's yeah. Monday night's game Manchester United how would you rate their season I think they're doing okay you'd swap positions with them they're in second they're comfortable I don't think they've been uh, I don't need to have been tested as such as far as they did. There's no one that's really steamrolled them. They're in control of most games. Um, I read a lot of forums and stuff like that. And there's like, look, with same, all clubs would have meltdowns when they don't win by one or two. But they seem to have done enough in a lot of games this year which they should have won barring horrendous misses or, you know, I don't want to say luck, look, you, you earn your luck. But um, I think they're having a decent season. The only problem is, is that City are so far ahead of them. It makes it maybe look a little lesser. Right. Any players that are flattering to deceive at Man United? Um, I think the way he's playing Martial left sided. Um, he, he's obviously hung his hat on Lukaku as the the main man, the number nine. And I think because of that now, Rashford and Martial are scrapping for that kind of wide berth. Yeah. And I don't know whether it suits them or not. Um, they certainly like if you put Martial and Rashford in a different team, a more attacking team. I think they'd look like completely different players. And it's the Mourinho factor. That's the way he likes to do it. He likes them to sit and be tight. But, I th- yeah, they flattered to deceive as far as they should. I think they should be doing better. And they should look like better players. You should be talking about them week in, week out. And he doesn't seem to be getting the best out of them with that balance, the two playing wide right. And right. I don't, probably not their natural positions. Yeah. So, I think Rashford is probably making a better go of it than Martial. Rashford is... Goals wise, he's coming up with goals to back up the, the centre forward. Martial, maybe, maybe again, if he's in and out of the squad, it's very hard to get that fluency going. But he's always been someone that I've looked at who is still in that young phase where I remember Ronaldo when he was with Manchester United. I'm not comparing him to Ronaldo, but when he was with Manchester United and younger, you get good, you get bad, you get him running into players and, and not crossing it when he needed to cross it. So learning his game, Martial seems to do that. He hasn't, he hasn't. Uh, produced the dribbling skills 
and probably hasn't mastered it yet to be able to get by someone, deliver a cross or, or get shots on target uh, enough on a consistent basis for me anyhow, yeah. where Rashford will. Mm. So but even think, Ashley Young shows them up when yeah, it comes to delivering I think crosses. So. Yeah, He's I, an excellent deliverer of cross. Uh, he wouldn't be my favourite player, but you can't argue when he gets his chance. I mean, he pops in some seriously good balls. The other big problem I think with United is, and I think he's trying to address that, is that you're you're holding, or sorry, you're holding your attacking mid player, your Mata or your Mkhitaryan have not lit up. No, and they're they're struggling there, <clears throat> and I think that's why they're looking for Sanchez. They'd love to play Sanchez in behind Lukaku or something like that. That'd be ideal for them, but they don't have a bridging player that's on song at the moment, and yeah. I also think that's a big problem. Well, they did think about. Pogba in that position and getting another midfielder inside um, yep. what's his name Matic so yep. either or but it looks like Sanchez is what they're, they're, that's they're that going type for of player they're looking for but if they it, do need it I still think they do need it okay Stoke City what do we say about yeah. Stoke have they a chance no other than the fact that you know what I mean? sometimes there's that pop when a manager goes and they produce a performance out of nowhere um, but in general terms you're looking at you know you're comfortable 2-3-0 in this now, unless Stoke do something or something happens with the manager gone and you know yeah they get a lift but comfortable 2 3 nil, I'd say okay well that's going to wrap up the show uh, we're going to finish off with a song we will talk to you next week thanks very much Neil for coming in today and uh, from Bugo Bugo will be back next week we're going to go with 8-Ball from Underworld and we'll see you next week 